You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Episode 80. Whether you are an HR manager of a global company seeking to transfer key employees to Canada, a foreign student searching for ways to remain permanently, or a Canadian citizen wishing to sponsor a spouse living abroad, the Canadian immigration process can be one of the most complex and frustrating things you will ever have to experience. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. My name is Mark Holthy. I am the host and I'm broadcasting as always, well now, from my home studio where most people are doing everything from these days in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode is one I wanted to push out really quick because we have seen some amazing things happening in the U.S. And today, when I think about the implications of that for my practice, because I do a lot of cross-border work for large uh, companies in the U.S. who have facilities in Canada, there's a huge opportunity now for me to help them navigate what's happening in the U.S. by placing their employees in Canada. And this concept of parking, I guess to some extent... Um, is available to most companies in the U.S. if they are adventurous enough to try it, especially when they're trying to fill labor needs, whether it's from India or from some other country, uh, setting up a company in Canada and then being able to incorporate and move over uh, key people to Canada while they're waiting for things to sort out on the U.S. side with all these bans. um, That's a very viable option. So it was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast very quickly. Now, with that being said, it's important for us to understand what exactly is happening. So I brought my good friend and colleague, um, Nicole Ezer, who is based in Houston, Texas. And we have been friends and, and really good friends for many, many years. And she does pretty much what I do on the U.S. side with the business immigration side of things. And I thought, I'm going to invite Nicole on to come and talk about what Trump has just done. And so the announcements, as you will see from Nicole, um, you know, have some potentially short-term and long-term ramifications. Now, the extent to which these announcements are really changing things right now, we'll talk about that. But but there are definitely options available for companies who are looking to, um, you know, solutions or to add one more tool in their toolbox of uh, doing what they do. And especially when the immigration rules in the U.S. are becoming more and more strict and Canada is becoming more and more open. So I, without further ado, let me jump to the interview that I just did with Nicole Ezer. Well, I am here with my guest today, a good, good friend and, and special guest, uh, U.S. immigration attorney Nicole Ezer. How are you, Nicole? I'm well, Mark. I love talking to you, so I'm happy to join you today. Awesome. Well, there's been a few things that have been happening down in the U.S. the last uh, couple of days, a few announcements from President Trump and some restrictions on uh, foreign workers. And we're definitely going to cover that today as we 
uh, as we talk a little bit about um, the interaction of, of uh, U.S. Uh, immigration and, and Canadian immigration. And uh, yeah, I'm super grateful to have you join me. I've wanted to have you join me for quite a while on my Canadian immigration podcast, but the reality is you practice U.S. immigration, so there haven't been too many opportunities, but this definitely is one of them. So, uh, so how are things down in, in Houston? Well, we've had a very eventful couple of days as our clients absorb this information, try to figure out uh, what it means to them today, try to figure out whether or not it is going to have an immediate impact on business or whether it's because of the crossover into some other restrictions, whether or not it really does not change the landscape too terribly much. We're, we're sort of trying to navigate what the impact is today and trying to assess whether or not a six-month uh, ban is going to be something that's impossible to surmount. Gotcha. So, you know, I, um, I think listeners probably should understand a little bit of the background. Nicole and I have, you know, we've kind of sure. worked uh, together on, on various joint initiatives, I guess, if you will, mutual clients for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to go back to think, how long has it been mm-hmm. since I've, I've known you, Nicole? And it, it's probably, you know, it may be 10 years. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the that's early, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the that's early right. days of, uh, you know, when we we had our connections with one of the global immigration firms, and I think that's how we had our initial introduction. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been wonderful having the opportunity to work from you. But every guest that I invite on, I ask them, you know, how do you how did you get into immigration in the first place? I am an immigrant, and so when I came to the United States. Um, we were here initially under visas ourselves, my family. And I went to law school and I started practicing with um, my husband and he did a different kind of law and I did not like it very much. <laughs> and we moved to Texas and I sort of fell into it. Um, and so I connected with it immediately because I connect with it on a professional level, but on a personal level. And I like to solve things in this space. So I, I'd have to say I am a person who I know every single day that I wake up, I help uh, immigrants, which is kind of a, it's kind of a good feeling because I'm one of them. That is awesome. The thing I love most about that, Nicole, is that that's the exact response in many cases that I get from my colleagues here in Canada who practice immigration exclusively. You know, they maybe started in different areas and kind of fell into it a little bit. Some of them, they themselves were immigrants. You know, for me, it was going and serving a mission for my church over in Portugal and just realizing the world is is a lot smaller than it appears and just wanting to find a desire and a way to use my Portuguese. <laughs> and I thought, well, hey, immigration uh. makes sense. But ironically, very rarely do I do it. Uh, you know, now with the consults that I do with people all over the world, every once in a while I'll get someone from Brazil or Portugal. And and then it's more just an exercise and entertainment talking Portuguese versus a necessity. <laughs> but, but that's what it mm-hmm. is. And then you highlighted the key part, which is solving problems in this space and, and basically just making a difference in people's lives. And whether that's individuals or even the, 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 you know, the corporations um, that we act for, which is really going to be the, the crux of our discussion today, um, it's knowing that you're, you're actually helping to advance something. You're doing something positive that's having a, a, positive, inflac- a, a positive impact mm-hmm. and, you know, for, for a company or for the individual clients that we work for. So very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, let's shift and let's dive right into this. 
because I think a lot of the listeners here, especially immigration lawyers in Canada, are wondering, well, what does this really mean in the U.S., these new restrictions announced by President Trump, and, uh, and what opportunities potentially could it create for us here in Canada? So why don't you start with the, the restrictions themselves? Like, what, what exactly has happened? What has happened is that we have a new set of restrictions um, effective this week dovetailing into restrictions that were previously announced. But let me focus on, on the one that came out, um, the June 23rd restriction, right? Um, which basically restricts the entry to the U.S. until December 31 of 2020 of new H-1B, H-2B, L-1, and J-1 uh, non-immigrants and their dependents. Or people who are outside the U.S. when this took effect that didn't have visas at the time they are not going to be able to join, and we're all going to have to revisit this January of 2021. Oh. So for those practicing in Canada, what this really means is all of our intercompany transfer work permits, and Nicole, I'm assuming this is managerial as well as specialized knowledge. There's no distinction. They're, they're, uh, that, that's shut down regardless uh, of those. Yes, to people who need visas. What I wanted, at some point, we're going to have to pivot to what this means for Canadians. Okay. Because um, we are waiting for the language that says it, it won't affect Canadians. Gotcha. But I need to talk about that in a minute. Okay, fair I enough. I think we should get, because you have so many Canadians that are also other, Canadian residents that are also other things, right? Yes, Exactly. So to, so to finish that, now that you've probably a little bit of clarification there. So, so the intercompany transfers, and then for Canada, H-1Bs are basically all of our LMIAs, which it's not a, an exact translation, but are basically it, 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 it's saying our foreign worker program, you can't bring anyone in. That's essentially what it's saying. So it would completely gut, it would completely kill at least any new work that we were looking to do for our international companies. You know, there, yes, NAFTA still or USMCA, whatever they want to call it these days, right? You know, that, uh, I guess maybe that's still possible, I understand. But, um, but to a large extent, this is a massive part of, our, of the business immigration work that we do um, in, in Canada with our, you know, with our global, um, our global clients. So, yes. Okay, so I wanted to just put some context so, on that for listeners. Yes, that... Yes, and as long as we still don't have the language clarifying the exemptions, which has not come out yet, um, we are hearing that they are going to publish new language to clarify. Um, we, I think we can proceed right now with the assumptions that the Canadians are not exempt uh, because we don't really have language that says they are. Uh, and just to be clear, this is... June 25th at uh, before noon, and <laughs> I have to say it that way because the, our administration tends to publish things in a very, um, un, they announce without <laughs> announcing, right, a lot of times. So um, we're hearing that the Canadians may be exempt, and I, I, I know that a new L that I sent through yesterday was adjudicated. So... Um, and that was after the ban took effect. So let's let's talk about the ban in general anyway, because yes. I don't have language, and I, certainly one anecdotal um, work permit getting through yesterday versus a presidential proclamation still gives <laughs> us a lot to talk about today. Awesome. Okay. Fire away. Okay. So effective, right? Um, 
If you're outside the U.S. on the effective date of the proclamation, and many people were, and you don't have a valid immigrant visa, you don't have a valid travel document, you don't have a valid non-immigrant visa, or an approval notice, um, ostensibly you should not be able to uh, re-enter in H-1B, H-2B, L-1, or J-1 categories until uh, after the 31st of December, nor can your dependents enter. If this does apply to Canadians um, and the rest of our treaty partners, and if you look, Mark, E2, E3, E1, those are treaty visas that did not get sucked up into this uh, yes. particular proclamation. And so the question is, well, isn't NAFTA also a treaty? Mm-hmm. Why would we exempt mm-hmm. our, our favored foreign neighbors, right? Why would <laughs> we do that? Um, and so that's the thing uh, that we're hoping for. So what we can do right now in country extensions, if you are here and would like to stay here, we are happy to extend that. Um, regardless of category, because in-country extensions have not been harmed. Um, what's very interesting about this provision for people requiring visas is that they weren't issuing visas anyway. And so what the net effect of this is what, really, um, to the visa holder people? Um, you have essentially an uncertain visa issuance situation abroad that has now got a kind of a date certain, which is December 31. Let's work back from that. Maybe it'll be sooner. But we were sort of in an open-ended situation before. Fair enough. Um, specifically pertaining to Canadians, if you look, TNs are not on this list. Mm-hmm. So um, professional workers from Canada were still going to be able to enter. E2s are not on this list. There are an enormous number of Canadian E2s. Um, those can still come. Nicole, with the uh, this whole concept of, of not issuing visas anyways because of the, the, the pandemic that we're in, was there any indication or any feeling before this announcement was made that that they would start to to reissue visas? The way we were finding out that visa issuance was again possible in the dis- not too distant future was people were starting to get appointments again. Yeah. What we have seen, though, unfortunately, is that these appointments keep getting postponed. So, for example, I had people that had appointments in June. They've now been postponed. And I say that with uh, oral parenthetical, mm-hmm. postponed until July. Um, so here's the thing. If they kept moving these out, um, as opposed to just announcing that nothing's happening until December, we probably had a net effect of maybe three months, right? Because if you decide that people in, this, in July for appointments are going to be canceled till August, and they weren't going to have visas issued probably any sooner than the end of August, now we're looking at September, October, November, December. It's a problem, but yes. there's weirdly um, a bit more certainty in a way because even if they do get these visas issued, they can't use them. They were issued after the proclamation. So even if you get visas issued right now, you're going to be sitting around unable to use those visas um, at any time. So as we're speaking right now, we're seeing that the Department of State has issued something new on visa restrictions uh, regarding the proclamation of June 23rd. And the FAQs further muddy the water sometimes because it's very unclear. Um, It does say routine visa services continue to be suspended at US posts worldwide. We knew that. And I think what we're trying to figure out now is are we or are we not 
going to be able to get new visas if people were to travel abroad with their extensions. I think that's something that looks a little muddy because the wording um, was not terribly precise in the original presidential pro proclamation. I think that sometimes when you rush something out, um, you know what you mean. Absolutely. But the people who the people who practice in that area can immediately come up with, well, what's the problem? Wait a minute. What do you mean? So one of the first questions we had when this came out was, wait a minute, what about the Canadian? Because you are under your own travel restriction, right? We are. Did this supersede that travel restriction and that, that business with the essential travel on the border that didn't matter at the airports? But, you know, what will happen about that with the Canadians, right? So we immediately came up with that. There's something in the U.S. called automatic visa revalidation, travel without a visa to U.S. and Canada for 30 days, to U.S. and Mexico for 30 days. Is that now no longer a thing? Um, so there, the problem is, what are you saying? If you say no valid visas will be revoked, well, that's fine. Thank you for that. Mm. Uh, people have them in their passports. They already paid for them. <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. But the routine, the routine visa services and who that restricts now the people who want to leave the U.S. and come back, a little muddy on the wording. We're going to hopefully get more clarification because the FAQs that came out, sometimes FAQs raise more FAQs. Um, I think one of the things we probably should talk about a little bit quickly, and I don't know if people are clear on this, is the essential travel on the border and that it applies really only to the land border and that we have no problem at all even or inquiries about essential travel at the airports in the same way. So if, for example... Um, since let's assume for the happy, for a happy moment, let's get on the sunny side of the street for a minute. Let's assume Canadians don't have a problem anymore um, under this new proclamation. We hope um, the questions that are raised on the border as to essential travel, as to why you're coming, etc., simply weren't being raised at the airports um, for pre-flight inspection. And L's and other work visas were being happily adjudicated without any essential worker restrictions at that time. Um, I don't know what the the continued tightening will mean um, at this point. And certainly the airports are, they try to accommodate, you know, the NAFTA travel because they, they're on the front line of it. Sometimes they don't have very clear, clear, clear instructions either. Um, the implementing instructions are sometimes uh, lagging. Interesting. So maybe just for the, you know, I know we're kind of delving off into a little bit of a different topic with respect to the travel restrictions. So, you know, Canada traditionally has not distinguished the difference between land or air. So you're, maybe you can just clarify, you hinted at it a little bit here, that it's more open season by air versus land. Is that the case uh, when you're traveling into the U.S. from Canada? I think the original U.S.-Canada travel restrictions had to do with, quote, the border. And those, that was interpreted to mean the land border mm -hmm. um, more so than, uh, you know, open air, open air travel, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so what we know about that restriction and, and is that in practice, it did not disturb the adjudication of, um, of Canadians coming in and the, um, through the airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's been one of the interesting aspects that we've seen as we've been advising our clients. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, especially on the, you know, when they're coming into Canada, the, it's every month there's been some some kind of a change. And we had lots of issues with our uh, orders in council stating one thing and things being interpreted a little bit differently uh, on the borders, whether that was the land or the air. 
And uh, it became really, really challenging for us to advise our clients because immigration, IRCC, was saying one thing, and then the Canada Border Service Agency was applying their own test on top of it. And uh, whether it was the, the entry was considered to be non-optional and non-discretionary, that was the language that they used. And it caused tremendous issues for us. And, you know, the separation of families, everything. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding the fact we have our own quarantining, you know, requirements that when individuals come in, they must, you know, um, go to their yeah. home, find their place to hang out for 14 days till, the, till that period passes. Um, so it, it was, it was, and it still isn't, you know, we're not anywhere near out of the woods, but at least we have a whole lot more clarity. But we were always curious with the U.S., um, and, uh, and the interpretations that they had. So, so that's interesting. That's really interesting. Okay. So you talked a little bit, Nicole, about the, your, you know, your, your companies and whether or not this really had a big impact. So how are they feeling, you know, with these kinds of announcements, you know, how are they feeling about the future? Obviously, like you've identified there, you know, people weren't getting visas anyways because of the coronavirus, but, but, um, you know, how are they feeling? Like, do they, they, they feel like this is going to be a short-term thing? Is there some feeling that, you know, maybe there's going to be an opportunity for, <clears throat> for more ongoing restrictions just, you know, with, with, uh, with visas generally, work permits to the U.S.? So I think one of the things that we're all learning to navigate is the new backdrop of COVID-19, right, where companies aren't even necessarily operating in the same way they were with regard to FaceTime, uh, in-person FaceTime, bodies inside of seats, inside of office premises. Um, I think that they're getting used to not seeing each other locally, um, let alone their colleagues in other places, right? We're all getting used to seeing each other on, on our computer screens instead of in the break room, right? So I think one of the things that um, we can't underestimate is that the idea that remote work um, is happening now in a slightly more remote location is something that we're all adjusting our minds to and the landscape of expanding our own brains, right? Um, I, I hesitate to say that this has sort of sounded the death knell to multinational work. And I say that because everybody's been adapting since March and forced to adapt um, on uh, security, you know, internet security, all of those things that allow people to perform their jobs as much as, as well as possible in other places. Um, indeed, I think that there are very real concerns that the category that was attacked um, that has to do with the professional work of the L1s and the H1s, um, we are concerned in this way. Um, The L1s require that it's an intra-company transfer in the same way you make that argument on the Canadian side. Obviously, we're bringing something of value from location A to location B. It's something that's intertwined with the company's ability to um, seize market share, um, exploit its own resources for the benefit of making money on both, you know, from whichever countries. And so the L1 being curtailed in this way is, is troubling. Um, we don't know if it's going to be expanded. I will say that everything that's been in effect so far has continues to be expanded. Um, I don't think we have stopped any of the bans that we have put into place since COVID at all. Um, As you know, our COVID numbers are increasing. If that is the reason why we are doing things and our numbers are climbing, 
as well as our unemployment numbers are climbing. I think that we may see that no one hastens to revoke these things or repeal these things, um, even as we're hurtling toward a national election, right? Mm -hmm. So is the, this particular ban outlasts the existing date of the upcoming election in November. So um, the question at that point is, will a new administration, if we get one, view it as something that must be addressed in very early stages, right, when it takes over? Are there other things that are equally prioritized? Um, or will the existing administration dig in further come January if they win? So all of this has become this sort of cocktail of we are going to tread water. We are going to believe that even at the immigration level, um, the administration understands that the business of business is business and that it must be allowed to um, thrive or allowed to try to save itself, even in times of COVID, right? And so um, I can't say, I think that once the dust settled and people realize that what we have is this sort of basket weaving of um, restrictions that, for example, if you were to get a visa, an, um, an E2 visa tomorrow from one of the Schengen countries, we still have a Schengen ban in place. So how would you get here unless you qualify for one of those exceptions at the airport, right? So the, the problem is even if we lift one ban, we still have to look around and make sure we're not subject to another ban and to make sure that you can actually make it not just out of the embassy with a visa, but through the airport when you get to the U.S. side, right? Mm -hmm. No, that's Which is why in some ways I, I love Canadian air travel for, for pre-flight inspection adjudication because if you're disappointed, you are already home. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's interesting as we watch all of this unfold and you've identified many of the same challenges that, that we're dealing with right now with level upon level of, uh, of decision maker and uh, which basically you might be fine on one side and, and then there's something preventing you on the other. Like we have, you know, for us, it's as much the biometrics. It's the problem with our overseas visa offices and, and uh, a lot of those have been closed. And so uh, uh, the halt to right. our overseas visas was to a large extent because people couldn't go get their iris, <clears throat> their you know fingerprints and iris scans done, and uh, and that halted even though technically they didn't officially officially um, you know block all visa applications. Now Canada has also emphasized that the realities of these skeleton crews that are operating in the visa offices abroad in the foreign missions, and many of our officers came home, <laughs> and uh, but mm -hmm. but this whole world of um, of going to online processing and online adjudication is, is something that it's, it's pushing our, our immigration department to do. So, uh, you know, there, there will definitely be some efficiencies that are being created. There's going to be new ways of doing things. They're mm -hmm. shifting away from more paper-based. Uh, recently they even brought out, uh, an RFP for, um, to, to revamp our online filing system, which, oh my goodness, Nicole, it has its issues. It's, it's old, <laughs> it's outdated, it's glitchy. And it's the bane of most of our existences. <laughs> so we're hoping that that's going to get updated. But uh, but really, for when I shift gears back to our, our companies, because even in Canada, the, the same realities that you're experiencing with uncertainty over can you bring essential workers in and 
you know, even even workers that maybe are not deemed essential or fit into one of those categories, um, you know, just get back to the regular processing so that companies can go on and, and continue forward with their businesses. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And uh, so what we've been looking at at, these, at this time anyways is trying to create as many options as possible. So keep their options open. And as I listen to you talk about some of the uncertainty that's happening in the U.S. and, you know, the impact of, you know, changes in, in regime, changes in, um, you know, just how they, 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 they're going to continue forward, whether they're going to continue with this uh, past December 31st with these, uh, you know, these particular restrictions. You know, I, I can't help but think, well, if you're a U.S. company, then why don't you explore your options? It never hurts to have another tool in the toolbox. And one of those, which I'm sure many U.S. attorneys have been inundated by these, you know, a few companies in Canada who have been, uh, you know, uh, specializing, if you will, on um, parking individuals in Canada, same, you know, relative time zone, and, uh, and people are working remotely anyways out of their homes, so it's not that big of a deal. It's just the issue with sometimes uh, wondering long-term what the options are. And, and so um, this episode today, I wanted to focus a lot on the, the U.S. side, just understanding what's been happening down there, what's the feeling, you know, uh, how people are interpreting what's happening. And obviously there's more questions than answers. But I did want to highlight just a couple things for the listeners, especially if we do have um, uh, U.S. listeners that are tuning in. There are definitely options in Canada that, that companies can start to consider now um, as they're trying to, to plan as best they can for the future. And one of them, which we've addressed before, is this intercompany transfer. And in Canada, we have uh, the concept of a startup, <clears throat> which obviously exists in the U.S. as well, where companies who right now, mm-hmm. nothing is happening, obviously, overseas, new, with respect to new visas on, on both sides of the border to a large extent. There are, obviously, there is some processing in, on the Canadian side, uh, but it's definitely limited just because of the logistics of the skeleton crews of offices, uh, the missions abroad. But when it comes to an intercompany transfer, this is something that companies who are based in the U.S. may wish to consider. And the starting point is actually incorporating or setting up an entity in Canada. And that's, those are things that, you know, that companies can start to, to look at right now, even though the visas may not be open, at least from the standpoint of... Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, some of the restrictions uh, abroad. From the U.S., those possibilities do exist right now to move people across. And uh, so if you do have individuals in the U.S. right now, or even if you have uh, multinational companies who do not yet have a presence in Canada, the concept of, of moving them to Canada, at least initially or temporarily, uh, until the dust settles, is is a very, very viable option. And uh, the the standard and, the you know, that, that bar that you have to clear... Um, I know for years you've told me, Nicole, how difficult it is at times to to get specialized knowledge workers and things like that. Your your L1Bs, you know, through the standard is pretty high, and and it's not that it isn't on the Canadian side, but I think it is to a, a lesser extent a little bit easier to do that. But considering setting up an operation in Canada, considering um, either uh, you know individuals that uh, are are either running out of time in the U.S. or individuals that are overseas that are considering. Um, they were going to be transferred to, to the U.S. You know, moving them to Canada to operation there is a very, very viable uh, possibility. And so I wanted to, I wanted to bring that up as well. Um, you know, we also talk about the e-visas um, from Canada to the U.S. Well, the, the converse is, is our NAFTA investor, uh, NAFTA investor uh, applications, which are very, very similar. And so that's another option that's available. And 
we're not going to go into all of the details of each of these programs and how you qualify, but from a business standpoint, there are some viable, viable options. And then for those individuals in the U.S. who are wondering what the future holds for them and, uh, you know, uh, and, and wondering whether or not they will ever have an opportunity for a green card, um, people definitely need to consider Canada's express entry system, which is a fast-track system for uh, people with high human capital. Um, often, if you have a master's degree, you know, you're, you're not too old. And when I say old, 30, you know, right around that range tends to be uh, kind of the cutoff. You've got great English and, um, and uh, you've got at least three years of, of work experience. In many cases, you have a really, really good shot of immigrating directly to Canada as an immigrant. Um, so those are some of the options that I wanted to highlight today, at least for individuals who, and for, for companies, um, in light of a lot of the uncertainty that's happening in the U.S. But as you pointed out, Nicole, um, at this stage, there hasn't been a huge, huge ground shift because of what's been happening with the, the, the measures that have been put in place already for, for the pandemic. So, so I, I, you're absolutely right. And thank you for that, because particularly for the Americans or the people who are considering going to Canada, um, if you would let me, I, I have some questions that are sometimes raised when people are tossing around a Canadian option. Absolutely. Um, that I, I have. Okay, so number one, um, if you were to need to set up a temporary situation in Canada or a new office in Canada, would you need to be physically in Canada as a visitor or could it all be done remotely? Yeah, so when it comes to setting up corporations and things like that, setting up an entity itself, you don't need to be physically present. You know, the, the use of a, a U.S., um, uh, the use of um, uh, corporate lawyers to help you set up that company and to strategize and do all that kind of stuff doesn't require you to be physically present. Um, you know, often when you're, when you're doing this, uh, when, well, when immigration is assessing this, they'll look at the nature of the company itself. If you're a small little shop and you don't really have a lot of revenues each year, that's a whole different discussion than a multinational that is, you know, that, that, that has, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of annual revenues um, mm -hmm. that then wants to set up shop. So there's a different standard, obviously, and, and a different level of comfort. And uh, so in some cases, a, a virtual space, you know, where you're kind of getting a footprint down is, is a great place to start. Um, bricks and mortar is obviously that eventually you're going to want someone on the ground to be able to do that. But to start the process, it's not unheard of to have, um, you know, somewhat of a virtual office, I guess. And when I say virtual, you know, using one of these, um, you know, these shared uh, spaces as the, the mailing address mm -hmm. and things like that, um, in, in many instances, right. just to get started. And in fact, even the government regulate uh, the, uh, the officers um, regulations hint that sometimes council's address will be the, the starting point, um, even mm -hmm. when you are... Uh, when you're starting fresh with a new startup. So it really comes down to the money. You know, what right. is your business plan? What do the investment look like? Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and then if the stronger that right. is, then the less they're going to really want to see at the very start. So the first year is more like a little trial. All right, we'll issue this permit for you. Then you show us what you're going to do in this year. And then when you go for the renewal, that's so, where you, the rubber hits the road. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we have the exact same system here. Year one is, um, a little more aspirational mm -hmm. than the mm -hmm. renewal, which has to show us, okay, we, we let you try out your dream. How are you doing? Right. So in, 
again, dovetailing in with the COVID challenges on both sides of setting up a new office. Um, what will a work permit in the US, for example, would require uh, employment verification. You have a 14 day quarantine that would stop, I guess at the door, anybody doing anything for 14 days when they arrive. Yep. On a practical, from a practical matter, how do you navigate that um, 14 days if you really were to set up an office um, in Canada with a 14 day quarantine to pretty much all entrants, right? I think everybody yeah. that's coming from abroad. Right. Um, those are the kinds of questions we're getting, which is, mm -hmm. okay, you know, Nicole, I hear you say maybe Canada is an option for us and we like it because proximity, et cetera, similarities in, in a lot of ways. But if that were to be the case, how could we hit the ground running with the pandemic regulations of the 14 days? And in some cases, securing brick and mortar may not be possible. Um, and in any event, why would we want brick and mortar? Um, no one's at the office these days. And that's a good point. And so this is where you have the, you know, where there's things working at cross purposes, which are always the case. The needs of a business do not always coincide with the immigration requirements. And sometimes you have to conform your genuine business needs to make sure that it fits better and is more palatable in the context of the immigration application, whatever it is. And so, yes, without a doubt, if you have an office, the bricks and mortar, you've got people that are staffing that office, and that's a whole lot easier to justify a transfer than, than a virtual presence. You know, the response is, well, why do you need to have an office in Canada anyways, right? That's kind of the theory. And uh, if, if it's just going to be virtual in itself. So when, to answer the first question, when people are coming in, yeah, no matter what you're doing, we, we do have the ability to request an exemption, um, basically from Health Canada to, uh, to the quarantining. But that is a highly, highly exceptional circumstance where the overriding need for the person to be on the ground right away and the protections put in place can override the need for the quarantine. But that's a very rare thing that's rarely granted. So for most people, yeah, part of the planning process is, okay, I am going to look at these places and I've got these things set up, but I'm going to be going a little bit early and I'm going to be staying in an Airbnb or I'm going to be you know, going somewhere where I've got a very clear plan in place. Maybe I have someone on the ground that I already know that can help me to get uh, set up so that when I come in, you know, wherever I'm staying, um, that I can truly, you know, uh, go straight from the airport to that place and, and honor that. So that's a logistical mm -hmm. reality, but we deal with that all the time with our clients. So it's, it's more a matter of um, making sure that, uh, you know, if you have someone on the ground, like Canadian Immigration Council, we, we help with those things. And, um, mm -hmm. and so if an individual company is looking to come in, and, and obviously in a traditional world, you're going to take time to sort out where you want to be, location, jurisdiction, you know, which place is, you know, which province is the best for you to establish yourself in. So all of those discussions, none of this is, uh, you know, is we're going to make a decision tomorrow and we're going to move to Canada and set up operations, right? Um, it's obviously there's a very, uh, a very, very carefully thought out plan that's put in place. But those logistics in terms of, you know, do we need to quarantine for 14 days are, are, are there, I see them as, as very, very secondary to the underlying business plan for why you're doing what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, that, that can always be worked out. And I think that's important to, to know that essentially um, with a reputable and, and uh, reliable immigration attorney, um, I'm not saying that immigration attorneys need to start offering destination services, certainly, but no. I think that but we can make there the connections. Are some very real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think there are some things that the unusual nature of this time 
um, are forcing us to to entertain and engage with our clients in. And I think I think that's really important to 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 find somebody if you are going to go into and that can come highly recommended because you may not get there physically for some time if you're a smaller operation. So let's move a little bit to the multinationals, right? I have a question. What if you have a dormant entity? You opened it in Canada for whatever reason years ago. You haven't used it or you used it once and closed it down. Um, would, would that count as a new office? Does that count as a, how are we gonna do a revival to get people over there quickly? Because there may be a way if you're a big enough company to revive something that you thought was no longer useful but you already already have the name. You've already um, maybe you're looking into revival. If you have a, a multinational with a Canadian entity that is dormant, is it should they look into that or should they just go ahead and form a new one? Um, what is that the kind of questions you're getting now? Because the larger companies do have those potentials, right? Yeah. Well, the reality is, you know, from the standpoint of a startup, they are looking for certain things in place that are not yet there that's kind of the 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 object behind it that you have not yet used those intercompany transfer work permit provisions whether or not the company has been in place or <clears throat> whether it's it's been dormant obviously it's either in existence or it's not it's either been you know stricken from the record and it's no longer uh an active business or it's not um if if there isn't anything then they would obviously have to revive or you know incorporate a new entity but, um, but in those circumstances, immigration doesn't really care that much, I'll be honest. You know, at the end of the day, they just want to see that, uh, that there's assurances in place that the foreign entity has the ability to support this new entity in Canada, you know, financially or otherwise, that the personnel that they're sending are going to be in a position to help really create opportunities for, for Canada, economic opportunities. And, you know, is there a plan in place to, to maybe hire Canadians, things like that, and those are more important than how long is the entity being incorporated? Was it ever used? You know, was it used in the past? It's really more of a, a here and now, a question, a here and now situation. You know, what what is the plan right now? Now that you're moving forward, um, you know, you know, is there a, a qualifying relationship between the companies? Is the individual you're sending over? Do they fit within the the category of what we consider specialized knowledge, which is your L1B, or are they a senior managerial position? You know, what's your plan now? That's more important, um, really, than, you know, how long, you know, the age of the, the entity. Right. So let's say that I, I, I am an individual who's lucky enough to get into Canada, meet with Mark. I've done my 14 days because I didn't qualify for an exception. But while I'm in Canada, I've done some serious thinking, and I think I'd like to do this. But I'm not terribly sure I need to go back to the U.S., to get going. I'd rather just stay where I am having endured quarantine. Can I just keep going? Can I do a change of status right right there and then? That that's a great question. I'm able to <clears throat> so generally okay. speaking, new work permits have to be processed from outside of Canada. Now we're gonna take, you know, the 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 COVID has has placed restrictions on in a number of aspects on non-US citizens. So let's approach just from the standpoint of a U US company or US presence individuals that are coming in from the U.S., um, you know, that come in, handle their quarantine, but are really in Canada as a visitor, um, 
anyone that is applying under NAFTA, and remember for us, NAFTA, there are intercompany transfer provisions under NAFTA, you can make that application from within Canada. So you can actually submit it from within Canada. But pretty much everywhere else, it has to be adjudicated outside. And the biggest issue is actually obtaining the permit itself. And uh, if you're inside Canada and you can qualify through one of the NAFTA USMCA, are we calling it that? I think we are. I think it is now the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. But um, mm. but that, that treaty-based uh, agreement, um, those individuals that fit within there, um, obviously U.S. citizen, can go forward and, uh, and apply from within Canada, even if it is a startup for an intercompany transfer. For everybody else, you pretty much... Even if you start the process it's online, generally speaking, there's still a period of time where you actually have to leave and then come back in to get the permit. And uh, the, the challenge that we have with, uh, with the actual issuance of the permits is, uh, is then all of our orders in council and everything kick in, and, which makes it really difficult because um, you can't right now do something we call flagpole, which is applying right at the port of entry when you're coming in if you're not a U.S. citizen. And so um, that makes it... A challenge. So for your individuals yes. that are in Canada okay. <clears throat> already, uh, I, I would that you definitely probably would not want to count on doing that. Okay, um, that's one of the questions I get. Another question I get um, has to do with behavior that may not allow me to enter Canada as one of the representatives from for the new company. Our waiver office, because of the nature of it. Um, one of the waiver processes for the in-person submission of waivers on the border, for example, between the U.S. and Canada, that had sort of a halt and a slowdown to it because we stopped having in-person applications, right, yes. to do that. Um, the question is, you know, did you, do we have a similar situation where now, potentially, if you were going to come from the States and you were to, and I don't know, what to, maybe you can help me a little bit on the waiver process, but one of the questions we're having is, that I'm also getting is what if I do need a waiver of something that I did in the past and I need advanced permission to re-enter Canada. Um, I may be the best candidate, but I also have this little problem. Um, will I be able to, is the waiver office open for business in, on the Canadian side right now? Yeah. So just like, um, you know, any overseas uh, applications, whether they're international, like overseas missions outside of uh, Canada, U.S., or, or whether they're in, in the U.S., if someone's coming up from the U.S. to Canada, like you said, traditionally, we were in some circumstances able to deal with that waiver issue. It's, it's our criminal inadmissibility, and, and we call it rehabilitation. That process could be dealt with at the ports of entry. And that's a really good question because... Right now, when it comes to adjudicating work permits for, for U.S. citizens coming in, that is possible. When it comes to addressing, say, a DUI or something like that, that the person has had in the U.S., <clears throat> I can tell you personally that each port of entry has a life of its own. And so before that person travels, before I, I take the chance of, of trying to see if uh, we could have something like that adjudicated in light of our, our current pandemic, that would be a discussion that I would have with the visa officer at the port of entry. And whether they're flying in, whether they're driving in, we would have that discussion beforehand. And then it really just comes down to the urgency of entry and whether or not they're, you know, the desire to, you know, to come in, uh, you know, the, the risks can be mitigated and those types of things when, you know, that form a part of any of these adjudication processes for rehabilitation, 
uh, the risk of reoffending, all those kinds of things are all balanced in. But when you overlay on top of all of that, the pandemic situation, you know, often these right. officers want to spend as least amount of time as possible with an individual that's before them. And, uh, you know, even when it comes to, you know, non-U.S. citizens who require biometrics, you know, they've been really, really reluctant to want to do those for any, you know, non-U.S. citizens at the ports of entry. So to sit there and have someone sitting for a long period of time while they're going through an assessment of eligibility for rehabilitation, I would have to assume at this stage that that is not something you'd probably want to tackle right at a port of entry and that the officers probably would not be too keen on doing that. Um, so what does that leave you with? Well, it's a consular application. It's, it's an application that's made um, via, you know, well, at this stage anyways, it's still via paper, these applications. And, and then you're looking at the same, the same situations with, uh, with all the other visas and the delays and, and insufficient officers to process quickly. So it, that's a tough, tough situation. You're in, more often than not, if you need to move quickly, you're going to need to select a different person. Mm -hmm. Okay, so last question, because um, I also have to wrap up a little. Yes. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S., in, in, in many instances, a layoff, which is what a lot of us are facing, and why a lot of us are looking northward, right, can result in a 60-day grace period if you are a foreign national or if you, um, or if you are an American looking to explore Canada, right? So let's say that the 60-day grace period for a third country national is happening here. And I know that for, for a lot of this is U.S.-Canada, but um, let's say that you, you're laid off and you are from a third country and you do have a 60-day grace period to work in. Um, these are the kinds of people that we would be looking to refer to you. They are individual actors, right? They're not necessarily multinational people, but as we both know, um, immigrants are great entrepreneurs. So, um, most of the time, if you provide an opportunity, great things happen. So if I have a person that calls and they say, Nicole, you did my H-1B for me. I'm unfortunately laid off. I got 60 days to figure out what to do, go home. Um, can I look toward Canada? Um, and I would say, I have a guy, and I would give them your name. Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's 60 days looking like for people yeah. have a 60-day time frame? What could really be started, you know? Yeah. So in that type of a time frame, really there isn't too many options, right? You know, with, with your H-1Bs, obviously they're, you know, they're third, third, uh, third country national. They, uh, in order to be able to come into Canada, our, our work permit processes, there are some uh, situations where individuals can come fairly quickly through some of our expedited global skills strategy options, which is a whole different podcast. <laughs> but um, entities yeah. that are in Canada right now, some are able to bring in people quicker um, through these global skills strategies that Canada has implemented to help people that fit into higher, you know, professional executive level positions to um, to expedite their their work permits and to be able to come in. But all of that has been tossed on its head because of the pandemic and the inability to process mm -hmm. in an expedited fashion. Nothing is, unless you are fitting into one of the critical type applications that are getting priority, you know, agriculture, food supply, the, the fight against the pandemic, you know, healthcare, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, your, your general IT individual who's out of work, there is no real expedited process. But what, what we do have, and the discussion I frequently have with these individuals is, 
you know, um, do you, you know, what is your human capital like? Do you have the ability to apply to immigrate directly to, to Canada? And that process, even, even that process takes time, but whether they're in the U.S. and they have to leave and go back to their home country um, is, is irrelevant for those purposes. But 60 days out, I'm, I have no options. I'll be honest, Nicole, the likelihood of that working in, in, in pretty much any, any scenario is, is, is very, very unlikely. So what, we're, what we can tell people is it is a, this is a start a conversation yeah. period of time. Um, okay. That's, that's good to know. Cause even if they have a company who says, um, you know what, I let's transfer, we do have an entity in Canada. Let's, you know, let's see if we can, yeah. we can move this person up to Canada. Now the likelihood if they're laid off in the U S they're probably going to be in the, you know, there, that isn't going to work for the purposes of Canada. The same realities will exist. But, um, but even in those circumstances, because they, uh, these types of individuals are not eligible for ports of entry type applications. Um, they, they have to go through, uh, you know, consular filing and the same restrictions, the same limitations, the challenges with the processing times, the biometrics, all of those still apply, which, um, which are directly correlated to the travel restrictions, the pandemic, you know, all of those levels. So really it's a multifaceted approach, but to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I've got an option. We mm-hmm. can take someone cold within 60 days and get them into Canada. It would be, ex- well, I don't, I, I'll be honest. It would be very, very unlikely for that to be possible. Yeah, and, and I think that's similar here, obviously, um, if they didn't already have an entity here. Um, sometimes people are are laid off in one country and are able to, mm-hmm. to get something um, in another one, um, or that the, con- the company is willing to increase headcount in a different global yes. location. Um, as we're, I think we're heading toward, perhaps in the discussion we're having right now about you know reviving Canadian offices, opening new Canadian offices, et cetera. Yes. And so um, I, I think the last thing, um, you know, we, we're in such a weird time right now, but um, I'm very, one of the things I am heartened by, um, just from a U.S.-Canada perspective at the moment, is that in some ways we are largely still open for business with each other. And that's, that's going to be something that matters, I think, longer than um, these restrictions, this administration, if, whether they come in again or not, um, I am heartened by the fact that we have not truly um, chipped away in a permanently harmful way at the reasons that we do have a North America Free Trade Agreement, which, by the way, it's still called that until July 1. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up under the NAFTA, I, that's still going to always be it's my It's going to be hard, yeah. Um, Yes, the NAFTA is still nifty to me. But in any event, I, I thank you for the, the dialogue because um, we are, I like the idea that we're still solving things. And I like that, the idea that um, we're both still open for business in some ways. Yeah, I agree. And, Even and, though I will say Canada may be slightly more open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right now, you know, and, and if, uh, you know, the viewers, uh, the listeners on, on the podcast can just go back to the, um, uh, on my Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, we did a, a video just the other day here, I guess it's today is, it would have been probably the 24th, I guess, of, uh, of June. And, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about our current mentality when it comes to immigration. And, you know, I think we are, you know, slightly more <clears throat> open, I guess, if you will. But anything can happen. Anything can change. 
And, you know, we have some of our provinces even that have, you know, Quebec, who has traditionally been very, very pro-immigrant, you know, they have a current, you know, uh, the current government in Quebec is is very, very anti. And they've taken some significant steps to really restrict and curtail immigration, which has made it very, very difficult. So even within our own country, uh, you know, there are pockets that are um, more more open than others, if you will. And, you know, who's, who knows what the long-term impact of all of this pandemic is going to be? How long is it going to last? How long are the travel restrictions going to be in place? Mm-hmm. But I, too, am heartened by the fact that, you know, we do have still a very, very open um, uh, open, open, cooperative, collaborative kind of approach to dealing with this between our two countries. And uh, it's been a pleasure working with you, Nicole. It's been a, it's, it's so, so nice. much nicer to collaborate on mutual clients when, you know, we're strategizing, we're, 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 we're using strategy, uh, strategies, if I can spit that out, um, mm-hmm. that are in the best interest of the company. And we have a lot of different tools in our right. toolbox and that's what's cool. So, um, so thank you so much for joining me on this episode. This was a lot of fun. We'll definitely have to see how things unfold, and maybe invite you back again to to talk a little bit oh, more when it. we have more um, when I we have it. more answers uh, than questions. So, uh, thank you so much. Okay. I really appreciate it. Now, thank one, you for the invitation. You bet. Now, one question I do have before we leave: If my fellow Canadian cohorts who are listening to this. Um, do you have companies that have uh, opportunities in the U.S. that they want to pursue? They're anxious to enlist the services of an awesome immigration attorney. Um, how best can they reach you? You may go to our website, easerlawgroup.com, or you may call our office, 281-404-7781, and we would love to hear from you. We are, despite the pandemic, operating and open for business. Absolutely. And so we would uh, love to help you. And we hope for better times. And we hope everyone is going to uh, be able to preserve their own health. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, stay safe and well. All the best to your family and, uh, and to those, uh, those around you down there. Take care, Nicole. You too. Bye-bye. Well, Nicole, she kind of flipped that around on me, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't anticipating becoming the interviewee, uh, but that was kind of neat. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was great to have her shedding some light, helping us to r- see the reality of the situation uh, with these uh, work permit um, kind of suspensions until the end of the year. Uh, we'll see ultimately how this all plays out and what will happen after, you know, they have a regime change down there if that happens or whatever happens, if they will ultimately keep it or extend it, I guess, only time will tell. But if you are a company that is looking to explore possibilities down in the U.S., I would strongly, strongly encourage you to reach out to Nicole. She's awesome. And if you are a U.S. company or no, um, or an individual in the U.S. who is just wondering what the future is going to hold and are looking for some options and some advice and direction, don't hesitate to reach out to us here at Healthy Immigration Law. You can easily um, go to our website at healthylaw.com Click on start here and that will schedule a consult or you can just um, call us at 403-328-1441 and you can reach us on the phone. Anyways, this is it for this episode of the podcast. Um, It's been interesting to see how things have played out. We're still in the midst of this pandemic and uh, although things are starting to open slightly, there's still very, very little going on internationally at the foreign missions And until these travel restrictions are fully lifted, we are going to see a lot more 
craziness happening. And as of today, which is, I think, June 26th, we are, um, we had our draw at 431 for express entry and only a CEC draw. I would not be surprised if it drops even lower into the 420s because until these travel restrictions are lifted, I think our express entry folks are going to be um, the only the ones in Canada are going to be benefiting from this. All right. Mark Holthy signing off here. I want to extend a special thank you to all of you who watch. Uh, don't hesitate to go in and leave a review wherever you're listening. It helps the podcast to get out to the masses. And it's kind of cool. You know, we're getting about four, little over four, almost 5,000 views, um, or I should see, I should say, um, listens to the podcast so it's starting to catch a little bit of steam which is awesome now i'm also trying to release a few more so for after quite a long lay layoff we're now starting to get a few more podcasts out which makes me happy uh, but as i've indicated in past episodes healthy immigration law is also hiring so if you're a lawyer who is looking for a new opportunity and interested in working from your home in the same fashion that you're probably working right now that would fit perfectly into our system here. So don't hesitate to, once again, give me a call, or in this case, send me an email to mholthy at holthylaw.com. All right, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I want to wish all of you health and safety and happiness as we all navigate this crazy world of COVID-19. Take care, everyone. Oh, Canada country in the world We want to share the richness of your soil This place I love my home and native land We welcome all and with you we'll stand We'll set you and practice here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your guide for info that's up to Canadian Immigration Podcast.